If you have questions running through your mind, ask Pastor Dave and he shall help you find the answers you've been looking for. All from God to life and more. Man, you are in for a treat today. We got a question that I think might be one of the best questions that we have answered on the podcast. But first, let me do all that house cleaning stuff up front. If you are brand new to the show, this is My Pastor Says, the show that is all about you and your questions about God, the Bible, or life in general. I am your host. My name is Dave Atherton. I'm the lead pastor at Aviator Church in Derby, Kansas. And I'm incredibly grateful that you are checking us out. Uh, I will say also, before we get uh, too far in, that next week I'm going to try something that might be a little bit ambitious. Uh, This is camp season for myself, so during the summer, Matt, our worship pastor here at the church, and myself, we travel around and we get to speak and lead worship at a bunch of camps for kids and youth. And so I've done a couple of weeks in Texas. I was actually out last Sunday, uh, and of, of course, somebody showed up last Sunday who hadn't been here since COVID, and they said, man, the first time I show up and you're not even there, I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me, the one week I'm gone. But anyways, we missed last Sunday because we were down at a camp in Texas. Uh, it was a great time. A lot of kids made decisions for Christ. Um, but we're actually leading camp this next week up in Salina, Kansas. It's Monday to Friday, so I won't miss any Sundays for those of you who are aviator folks, but... But uh, we're going to try one of the morning sessions there with the high school group to record a live podcast answering questions from the high schoolers. So I think that could be pretty interesting. So uh, stay tuned for that one. That's a little ambitious. Assuming I can figure out how to make the tech work, uh, we are going to try to run that. So that'll be kind of a fun one. Um, So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But anyways, today we are going to talk about... Um, A question that was actually sent to me by one of my former youth group members, but I think is really, really appropriate for, honestly, anybody who calls himself a Christian. Um, And it's less about the Bible and really more about living out your faith. So our question today comes from McKenna. And before I jump in, McKenna, I know you're listening. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front. I'm going to challenge you to do something during this podcast that you don't want to do. So that's just a message for you. Everybody else, who knows, I might be challenging you as well. But McKenna messaged in after she found out I had a podcast. She sent me an email. She said this, I've been thinking about what would be a good topic for my pastor says, and I think I have it now. How and when did you make your faith your own? I know that through the years, we have talked a lot about making your faith your own, and I believe it's an important thing. So... She wants to know about how to make your faith your own, which uh, is a little bit of a church and East phrase. So this is something, again, with the youth group over the years that I've talked about a lot, but I've actually talked about it a lot with adults as well. The idea of making your faith your own uh, may mean a little bit more in your younger years, although I suppose if you never learned the lesson in your younger years, it's every bit as appropriate for us older adults. Essentially, when we're talking about making your faith your own is how do you actually take the things that you say you believe and incorporate them into your life in such a way that it impacts who you are as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as somebody who is doing your best uh, to live the life that God has called you to. When I think about this, I think about my kids a lot, right? So right now, I have an eight-year-old, a four, a three, and a one, right? So the eight, four, and three are all going to church on Sunday. Well, the one-year-old's going to, but he's just kind of hanging out in the nursery. But they're all going to church on Sunday. They're learning lessons. They're learning about the Bible. Uh, when they come home, my wife and I, we teach them about the Bible. We, we 
try to show them who God is. When we pray, we talk about where did we see God today so they can start to learn how to look for God on their own. But ultimately, a lot of what their faith is at this point in time is whatever, you know, mommy and dad are telling them. And so uh, I would say that at that age, they're really not probably making their faith their own. The problem is I think a lot of people kind of grow up, especially if you grew up in the church, you make it into your youth group, and then your youth pastor tells you what your faith is, and then you make it to college. Maybe you go to church that's big enough with a college ministry, and your college pastor tells you what your faith is and what it all means, and then you go to a church, maybe if you haven't dropped out by then, and your pastor just kind of tells you all the things you need to know about what your faith is. And really, unfortunately, a large percentage of people who fill the pews in church are people who have always just lived a life letting other people tell them you know, how their faith should work or what their faith is or what they should believe. And not enough people take ownership for their own learning, for their own growth. Uh, And so I'm going to tell you first kind of my own story briefly. I will do a very brief version of this. Um, And then I'm going to give you uh, four points on how to make your faith your own that will sound very familiar to anybody who listens to the Aviator sermons. But I will say this. So I accepted Jesus uh, as a seven-year-old, I think I was, at Vacation Bible School. I went forward during an invitation. I knew the gospel. I knew the Bible. I was a pastor's kid. Um, I had a cognitive working knowledge in my head of what it all meant, and I went forward and and did what Romans 10, 9, and 10 said to do. I confessed that I was a sinner. Um, I believed in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and uh, I prayed with um, our worship pastor down there at the front, and then when I went home, my parents asked me about it. I tried to explain it to them, and then I prayed with them again. Um, and I believe in that moment, uh, I, I think I checked off the necessary boxes for salvation. I confessed that I was a sinner. I recognized my own shortcoming. I, I believed in Jesus and, and who Jesus was and what his mission was, and Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead on my behalf. And I believe in that moment I was saved. However, I also believe in that moment uh, I had a lot of living left to do. Um, and while I knew the things necessary uh, to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, I will say this. I struggled for a while figuring out how to live out my faith. And anybody who's heard my full testimony, uh, you, you've kind of walked through this. I'll just say this. I made a lot of dumb choices through high school and the beginning of college. Uh, that were were definitely outside of the bounds of what God had called me to be. And I, I grew up in a church where it was very, um, at times, maybe kind of legalistic in their approach. And, you know, did you see what so-and-so was wearing and all this kind of stuff? And it was very uh, heavily... When I say political, I don't mean political in the sense of like Republican, Democrat, but there was some church politics that went into things. And obviously as a pastor's kid, I was right in the middle of all that. And um, I can say this, I went to church every week through my youth group. I was a leader in the youth group. Uh, I went to college on a drama scholarship to be on a team that traveled and did worship through drama all around, you know, Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, you know, all around the country. And um And even through all of that, I would say that I really hadn't figured out how to make my faith my own. And for me, unfortunately, what it took was uh, facing down the consequences of a lot of my dumb decisions. So after college, um, a few years after college, I hit a spot where life kind of fell apart for me a little bit. And in that process, uh, 
I remember one day finding myself, uh, this is a very much the Reader's Digest version because I try to keep this podcast to 30 minutes or less, but uh, I found myself sitting on an empty living room floor in an apartment that I had been living in um, alone. All of my stuff was either on the giveaway table uh, at my seminary or was packed into my Chevy Cavalier, and I was moving in with family because life had absolutely not gone the way that I had planned, and it had not gone the way I had planned because of decisions that I had made that derailed me. Um, and I remember I was sitting there listening uh, to uh, a song that was by David Crowder, um, and the song was called Never Let Go. And I was just listening to that, and I remember just kind of breaking down and crying right there by myself on the floor of that living room and just realizing that all of the things that I knew were true in the Bible, all of the things that I knew about who God was and, and what He wanted to do for me and, and what forgiveness was all about and what grace was all about and what mercy was about, all of these things I had a very cognitive understanding of. I had taught people about them, and yet I had blocked myself off from them because I was so concerned with admitting that I had fallen short that I wouldn't even allow myself to to receive grace because I couldn't even admit the things that I had done that had put me in the place I was. And so ultimately, kind of, I had a, a weird religious awakening or spiritual awakening in that moment. And I think sometimes we think those sorts of moments have to come at an invitation time at a church service or at a youth camp or at VBS or whatever. But I'm telling you this, God is right there with you right where you are. Uh, and in that moment, I realized, like, I need to change the way that I approach everything about my faith. I need to be transparent about who I am, because this idea of me trying to put on an appearance of something that I'm not is all about my pride and has nothing to do with who God is and, and what the grace of the cross is all about. And so I kind of had that moment where I then went on a truth-telling spree <laughs> where I talked to people who I needed to talk to about mistakes I had made. I apologized to people to whom I had hurt in, in decisions that I had made. I walked through all of this stuff because I recognized that my failure to do so prior was a pride issue, and my pride is what was keeping me from making my faith my own, from actually living out the things that I knew to be true. And so you may be in a spot like that. You may not, right? Uh, you may be just are sitting there and thinking like, well, I've, I've not you know, had life kick me around. I've not made a ton of just crazy, ridiculously bad decisions, and yet I still don't feel like I've made my faith my own. And so I think Ultimately, for me, over years um, of studying God's Word and trying to figure out how to help other people avoid the spot I was in where they say that they're a Christian, but really they don't know what that means or they don't have the connection. Their faith is not moved past just praying a prayer one time to accept Jesus into their heart, um, which is a phrase that I don't even like that phrase necessarily, but, but their faith has not grown past that initial moment, that point of salvation. Uh, and as I studied God's Word, I saw that there were a handful of things that I felt like you had to do to go from being a baby Christian to becoming a mature Christian. And so I want to walk you through those things. The reason I said that this will sound familiar to you people who are from Aviator is this. You have heard these all before because this is important stuff to me personally, and this is what kind of got me from uh, the stunted growth phase that I was in for so long to... Uh, I wouldn't say mature. I wouldn't say mature. My wife certainly wouldn't say mature by any stretch. But to a more mature Christian, and to a Christian who is pursuing the the actual truth of the Bible and the actual truth that God has called me to. So, 
uh, when I came to Aviator as the lead pastor, uh, they had a, a mission statement that was very long. It was like a mission paragraph, uh, or as a vision statement, or I, I don't even know what they called it, but it was very, very long and it was uh, very convoluted. And I tried to memorize it at first, and then I thought, you know what, I'm coming in and, <laughs> and we're kind of changing things over. So we decided to make it a lot simpler. I, I turned to the Gospels and I studied God's Word and I looked at what Jesus had to say when. Uh, the I believe the scribes came up to him and asked him, what is the most important commandment in the entire Bible? And Jesus said, the first and most important commandment is love the Lord your God with everything you have, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then he gives them the next one as well. He says, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say that all of the law and the prophets, meaning the, the books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the books of prophecy in the Bible— Everything that they had as the Bible at that point, he said, hangs on those two commandments, love God, love others. And so here at Aviator, we changed our mission, vision, and process statements into love God, love others. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. It's nice and concise, and it's simple to understand that we are about, (coughs) excuse me, we are about the business of loving God and loving others. And when you break those things down, right? Like, how do you love God? How do you love others? That's where I think you see four biblical principles that will help you to make your faith your own. So if you find yourself listening today and you're like, you know what? I feel like I've always kind of been dependent on parents or grandparents or pastors or youth pastors or some mentor to tell me what God is saying or what God is about or what God is doing in my life, then here are the things you need to do to take your faith and make it your own, to take steps on your own, to not be dependent on somebody else to tell you uh, what you have to do. Uh, There are four of them. The first two fall within love God. So we talked about the two most important rules are love God, love others. If you want to love God more effectively, right, which I think is something that we should all be striving to do until the day that we die, then you should do the following two things. The first one is learn. Uh, I'm going to be a little pastoral here. If you're sitting in your car, wherever you're listening, everyone say, learn. I'm just going to trust that you did it. Yeah, you have to be able to learn first off, right? Before you know who God is, before you understand what his word is, um, you, you have to start from somewhere. So you have to learn about the character of God. You have to learn about the call of the Christian. You have to learn about what God tells you to do. Uh, and there's a few ways that you can do that. Number one is read the Bible. Shocking. I know a pastor telling you to read the Bible. Read your Bible. Uh, I, I stress this a lot when I go to camps. The Bible is not just some book, right? We talked about this, was it an episode ago or two ago when we talked about how to read the Bible? The Bible is not just some book. The Bible is the living, breathing Word of God, which means that when you read it, it has the ability to ignite in you an understanding of the truth in Scripture. It is God's actual breathed Word. So, The best way, if you really want to know what it is that God has to say about you and your life and the way you should live and the way you should handle yourself, what things you should do, what things you shouldn't do, how you should treat others, if you really want to understand God's will on that, you have to read His Word. And that's not just on Sundays when you're at church and the pastor's walking through it. That's on your own. That's finding devotionals that you like. That's finding uh, materials that help you to understand what it is you're reading. You have to be excuse me, active in God's word. Next one is actually praying. If you want a kind of a lesson on prayer, you can go to the Aviator Church website or to our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Aviator Church. We just did a, we're finishing up a series right now called But I Say, which is uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And in one of the uh, 
messages there, uh, it talks about the heart of prayer, and that's actually covering the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, which you're probably at least somewhat familiar with. And that kind of talks through what prayer is actually about and what prayer should actually do. Um, But ultimately, we have a... It's crazy when you think about this. We have an open line to talk to the God of the universe in our prayer. And so reading the Bible and praying are the two most obvious and yet oftentimes most overlooked aspects of making your faith your own. You have to learn about who God is. One other thing I would recommend is find a mentor. If you're a new Christian or if you feel like you're an immature Christian, you're not where you're supposed to be, find like look around, right? Find somebody who, you know, is the way you want to be spiritually, someone who you look up to. I would recommend probably uh, same gender pairings here. Um, and then go to them and say, hey, can I just like ask you questions and talk to you and whatever? You know, I'm out of shape right now. And if I wanted to get a six pack, I would not go to another fat person to ask them how to do that. What I would do is I would go to somebody who has a six pack and I'd be like, hey, bro, how did you do that? Show me, right? You, you want to learn from people who have obviously put in the work. And if you go to church or if you spend any time around Christians, you know that there are some people out there who just live out their faith. And so if you want to be somebody who is who internalizes and makes your faith your own and actually does things uh, that God has called you to, maybe find somebody who's already doing that and then ask them if you can just ask them all of your questions and follow them around. Like, pray with them and see how they pray. Ask them the things that that you've always wondered about, about the Bible, and let them mentor you in that. So that's the first one. If you're going to love God first, right? If you want to make your faith your own, that's the first thing you have to do is love God. First is learn. Second is respond. You have to respond to the things that you learn about God. This is where 90% of Christians miss the mark. Right here. This is the biggest one that we assume we no longer have to do. I think a lot of people think that, you know, like me, I told you, I, I got saved when I was in a seven, seven-year-old at Vacation Bible School. I think a lot of people think that is the response, right? I learned about the gospel, and then I responded. I went forward, I confessed my sins, I prayed, and then I'm done responding, And that could not possibly be further from the truth. The Christian life is a life of constant response because you should constantly be learning. You should constantly be seeing where you're missing the mark and God will illuminate for you places you need to improve. And so you should be responding through repentance of sins. You should be responding through, uh, you know, being willing to follow God wherever he calls you. You should be responding through constant prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is pray without ceasing, meaning Your prayer conversation should never, ever, never, ever stop. You should always be doing that. And as such, as God uh, leads you through the Scripture, as God leads you through your prayer, you should always, always be responding. There should never be an invitation time at a church or a camp or anything. Uh, And when I say invitation, for those of you who maybe don't go to church, the time at the end where the pastor asks people to respond to the message, maybe they open up the altar at prayer, maybe they are asking for decisions, uh, who's made a decision for Christ. There should never be a time where people don't respond because we should all always be responding nonstop all of the time. Here's a couple of things if you're talking about response. So if if you are just now learning about who God is, the first and most important response is, uh, is accepting the grace of God, the grace displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. That at that point, Jesus uh, became the sacrifice one for all, meaning he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. 
And then he went and was, uh, like they used to have to do in the Old Testament, they, they would sacrifice lambs or goats. He became sacrificial for you, for your sins, such that your sin was then imputed on Jesus on the cross, and now you have the ability to accept the gift of that sacrifice to cover the guilt of your sin. You are now able to be made righteous before God. That's the first and most important one if you're looking for a verse on that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is kind of the one I'm actually going to pull that one up and read it to you just in case you're listening and you're curious about it. It says this, uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified. It is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. So if you're looking for a quick explanation of what it takes to be saved, right? The, the very beginning of that process. It is confessing that you have fallen short of God's standards of holiness, that you have sinned, that you have screwed up, that you have done things that you're ashamed of, uh, and that you can't do anything to fix that on your own. So you're confessing your sin, and then you believe in Christ as the sacrifice for that sin. And, and that's the thing. That's all you have to do as far as that initial salvation goes. Now, again, you can't stop there. That's not the only response. There are other responses. Hey, McKenna, you remember when I told you at the beginning of this that I was going to talk to you about something that you're not going to want to do? Another way to respond to your faith is, wait for it, get baptized. Hey, uh, after you've confessed and believed, after you've become a Christian, the Bible's pretty clear on its expectation that you follow after the Lord in baptism. Just to be clear, if you've ever seen a baptism and you're confused by it, it's where somebody gets up there and they get dunked under the water. And then they come up. This is not an act of a salvation act. It's not, that was, how about that? An act of a salvation act. <laughs> this has nothing to do with salvation itself. Meaning, being baptized does not make you saved. You don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Uh, the Bible talks about this being a symbolic gesture that you're doing, where when you go under the water, it is as if you're being put into a tomb and then being raised to walk in a new life in Christ Jesus. It is symbolic, but it's also super, super important, McKenna. It's super, super important because what it does is it puts you up in front of the other believers of the body, and and you're saying, this is the decision that I have made. I, I am going to do this thing, and, and it's uh, the sign that they now understand. You've made this decision. They can help hold you accountable. Um, it's a huge, huge act of obedience, and I think a lot of people don't want to do it either because they're afraid of getting in the water in front of people or because it feels a little bit weird, which, by the way, it is completely weird, uh, and yet Jesus himself did it to model this for us. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for me. And <clears throat> McKenna, if you refuse to do it, it might be a mark of a little bit of pride in your life that you may need to deal with too, uh, for whatever reason. So um, I think continual response, uh, you know, for salvation, for baptism, you know, in Timothy, it tells the, the mature believer, as Paul tells Timothy, who's a young pastor, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, constantly be responding, constantly be ready uh, to share what you've learned in your response. It's a nonstop uh, life. I, I think a lot of times people think, you know, Christianity is doing this one thing, boom, I prayed my prayer, now I'm saved, everything's good. And that is not the case. It's a life that you agree to live. It's a, it is a constant um, 
call that God has put on your life. And so it's not some sprint where you do the thing and then it's finished. This is a marathon. This is a calling to be a new creation in Christ for the rest of your life. And so, you know, definitely look into it and learn what that means and then continue to respond. So that's it. Love God is learn and respond. And then we talked about both of them, love God, love others. So if you want to continue to make your faith your own, we're going to shift from the love God part, which we've we've done and we should be continuing to do forever, into the love others. And I've got like seven minutes to do this. So here we go. The first one in love others is you want to connect with others. Uh, one of the phrases that gets used in church a lot is do life together. Uh, I want to read to you, I have here Acts chapter 2 pulled up. And if you were just with us uh, at Aviator, we went through the entire book of Acts, but this is one of those passages that gets uh, brought up a lot. So this is the early church um, and kind of how they were when it came to loving one another. So listen to this. This is Acts chapter 2, I think 43 through 45. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And actually, I missed 142, I want to say. Uh, And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. So that's what it looks like to connect with other believers, right? These people weren't just like seeing each other on Sunday and, oh, hope everything's going well, and then going on their merry way and then not talking to each other anymore. These were people who decided we are doing this thing and we're trying to live a certain way. We are going to do this together in lockstep. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to build each other up. It says literally they were selling their possessions and giving their money to those in the body who who had needs because why? Because they loved each other and they wanted to connect with one another. They knew that that the safest place for them to grow in their faith and the place that was going to push them to grow in their faith was as a community of believers with one another. The church is, think about this, out of all of the ways that God could have said, okay, this is how we're going to spread the gospel, the way that he picked was the local church. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he looked at the 12 guys plus a handful more who were there in the upper room. He, he talked to those guys again in Acts as he ascended to heaven. He said, basically what? Go and tell everyone what we did. You are now a group, and you act as a group, and you do this thing. And through that first early church, churches popped up all over the world. Eventually, 300 years later, the Roman... The Roman uh, government went from persecuting Christians to it being the state-sponsored religion of the entire Roman, uh, what word am I blinking on? You ever do this where you blink on a word Roman? I want to say kingdom, and that's not our empire. That's the word we're looking for. Da-da. There we go. (laughs) So anyways, um, the Roman empire became a Christian thing because the Christians were relentless in doing life together and sharing with one another. Um, this is one of those things, again, that I think is overlooked. Here at Aviator, we're going to be launching groups again this fall, and groups are so important because this is where you get to do life together. Uh, so if you want to love others, you connect. Connecting holds you accountable. It makes you sharper. It increases your safety net. Um, it gives you people who love you and care for you and want to see the best for you, uh, and, it, and it puts you right in their path so that if you start to stumble, if you start to fall, if you start to to miss. You have people not who are being mean to you, but people who love you and can say, hey, it feels like you're struggling. How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? Connecting is a huge thing. The last one. So we've done learn and respond. That was in the love God. Now we've done connect. And the last one is if you want to make your faith your own, serve. Some people do this really well. 
Uh, actually, the girl who submitted the question, McKenna, she is a girl who serves hard. Like, she will do anything for anybody. She's always happy to help with a great attitude. I do not do this one naturally. Some of these you may do more naturally than others. Um, I like taking naps, personally. Uh, and so the idea of just, like, going out of my way to, like, work all day for somebody else, like, I'll do it. But there's a there's a small part of me, or maybe sometimes not so small a part of me, that struggles with that concept. That this is the last one that Jesus gives us that I think is a biblical statement of how to make your faith your own. After you've learned and you've responded, you've you have come to grips with who God is, you have accepted the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now you're you're basically living out your faith with others through connecting with them and serving them. And the example that I, I always think of when I think of this is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the Bible which was, by the way, considered to be the most humble and lowly act of service that there is. And it's something that usually, whenever there is a party in a home, the lowest of the servant staff, if there are servant staff, or if not, the youngest of the children, uh, usually the youngest female, uh, would do this for all of the guests. This was considered the job that was gross and was nasty and that nobody wanted to do. And just the act of doing it told everybody else that you are the lowest of the lowest on the totem pole in this particular household. And so Jesus is there with the disciples and he gets down. Think about this. God incarnate, the image of the invisible God, the one who created all things, gets down and grabs a a basin of water and a rag, and he washes his disciples' feet. And when it gets to, I think it was Peter, when it gets to Peter, he says, uh, no, 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 you're not not doing this. And Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part in me. And Jesus says, okay, then fine, wash wash everything, man, do what you got to do. Jesus finishes doing this humble, lowly act of service, and then what does he say? As I have done this for you, now go and do for others. I can't think of a better picture of what the Christian life is than that. That you should be willing to do the most lowly, humble act of service. And here's the thing, you would think maybe after that you would be like, oh wow, that was gross and I hated every second of that. But even I, somebody who struggles with this idea of constant service, I can tell you this, whenever I've gone on mission trips or been a part of something like that, where you go and you're working hard, you're doing you know, something the Lord has called you to do, there is a feeling when you come back from that where you are exhausted and you're tired and your body hurts and you're, you're probably still a little bit stinky and sweaty and smelly, and yet, in this weird sense, spiritually, you are completely full. You are, you are at your best in, in a spiritual sense after you have served others. So if you want to make your faith your own, you do the following four things. First, you learn about who God is. You study diligently, open your Bible, you get into it. Then you respond and you never stop responding. This this response thing is a never-ending process for you. The more you learn, the more you respond. And as you do that and you begin to wrap your mind around what it is to be called by God, then you connect yourself to others. You get into a group. You find people who can hold you accountable, uh, hold you and push you deeper in your faith. And then as you rock into that, then you then you slide into the last step, which is serving. You, you passionately serve anybody that you can. You point them back towards God. And if you do those four things, those are the... Those are the simplest steps I can give you to making your faith your own. As you do that, the more you do that, you will find that you need less and less from a quote-unquote spiritual leader because you have the ability to go straight to God and you're beginning to understand more and more of His Word. I can tell you this, some of the sharpest people, the people who have 
you know, quote unquote, made their faith their own the best, right? The ones who are, who are living it out have never spent a day in the pulpit in their lives. They're just people who genuinely love God, study His Word, they respond constantly, they connect with other believers, and they serve like crazy. And so those are the things that you need to do if you want to uh, make your faith your own. That was a fantastic question, McKenna. I thank you for asking it. I have a handful of questions that I need to get to still. So like I said, I'm going to try to take my recording stuff up to camp with me next week and get them done. We'll also do a live episode if we can make the tech work out. I'm so grateful for all of you who download, who listen, who check it out. Uh, Be sure to pass this on to a friend if you think that there's any benefit to you whatsoever uh, and tell them that they can always send their questions if they have any to dave at aviatorchurch.com. Again, Dave at aviatorchurch.com. I will talk to you guys again very shortly. Until then, God bless, and we will see you later.